Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Hi, friends. I wanted to let you know that today's uh, YouTube recording was something that we did during service. Uh, we have our Zoom gathering at 1115 on, uh, on Sunday mornings for Catalyst Church. If you ever want to join us for our Zoom gathering, it's an open invitation. Um, it's really a fun, personal way that we can connect with each other uh, since we can't really be in, in physical spaces. So if you ever want to join us, you can find this on that uh, Zoom link on our website, which is at provokechange.org. Uh, so today's recording was actually recorded during our Zoom service. So Jason and I are actually looking at our congregation and engaging with them there. Uh, so it might look like we're not looking at you, but we're being very aware that you're around us as well. So I hope that you enjoy today's message. I hope that you're blessed by it. And, uh, and we'll see you later. So last week, Bethany talked about, uh, or we both actually did. We did, no, no, you just, you were by yourself, right? I was by myself last By yourself, week. right. Okay, yeah. so we did, you did the message on uh, Jacob. Yeah. And when Jacob wrestles with God, and it was our first wilderness narrative. And uh, you were establishing that, you know, Jacob was this sort of proud, arrogant person. Yeah, like manipulative, manipulative, a trickster. And then yeah. he goes into the wilderness, essentially, and he, he, he faces God and he wrestles with God and and then he kind of comes out sort of humbled and and he comes out in a different yeah. way yeah and I guess that's part of the point of the wilderness is that you sort of come out differently on the other end right um and and my takeaway from that was that and I didn't didn't hit me till later in the week was that Jacob was touched by God like mm. you know physically touched by God yeah and and that's what he took with him and so um so and that happens in the wilderness right yeah Definitely. And then this week we're looking at the story of Jesus in the wilderness, and you probably all heard this passage a lot of times. So mm -hmm. hopefully, we're bringing something a little bit um, fresh this morning for you. And uh, the reason why we chose this passage was because um, while I think Jacob actually did encountered Jesus in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. um, like an incarnation. An source. incarnation. I mean, I think yeah. Jesus has always been present. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, you know, we, we have a little more to the story. A little more has been revealed to us over time. And, and so what we get to do is we get to take Jesus with us mm. into the wilderness. Um, and I don't know if Jacob actually recognized it or what, but I just kind of like to think that, that the Christ was there. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so we get to take Jesus into the wilderness with us, which is a very different kind of perspective. And what is, I think, what is most profound, and then we're, you know, we're going to really get into this, is that um, the reason that we take Jesus with us into the wilderness is because he fully experienced what it meant to be human mm. in the wilderness and to have to rely fully on God, fully mm -hmm. dependent on God. Um, and so we're going to like kind of iron that out a little bit and then um yeah so well do you want to describe and for a minute what the wilderness is like what, what oh is yeah yeah so you know wilderness um so i like to think the wilderness metaphorically sometimes it's a physical place yeah. um but it it really just means like isolation it can mean um solitude mm -hmm. and there almost could be a sense of abandonment mm. um and what is like for me personally in the wildernesses that i've experienced um that have stuck with me the most is sometimes 
in the wilderness, you have the community around you that you need, but you still feel isolated. You still feel alone. And that's a real part of what it means to be in the wilderness too. And I mean, I can recall having these deeply, deeply anxious moments in my life where, you know, I had all the right voices and all the right things kind of to help support me. And, and I'm glad they were there, but there was still an actual sense of aloneness. Yeah. Like a desolation. A a desolation within me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, it was forming. It was forming. That's right. And I think that that's the beauty of the wilderness. The wilderness actually can form us. God can use spaces of desolation, of isolation, of suffering and pain in our lives. God will use that. I don't think that God places that on us, but there is this sense of being led into spaces where we are formed differently when our hearts are willing to be formed in those spaces. That's good. That's good. Preach it. Well, so let's get into it then. So, um, I was, I was thinking about this time a year and a half ago, Jason and I went to Amsterdam with some friends of ours and we'd never been to Europe. Well, we went to Scotland a long time ago for a missions trip. Bethany's 40th. Or my 40th. That's right. That's right. I celebrated my 40th there. So we were there a year and a half ago and we were just like really enjoying the space. There's like, I don't know if you've ever been out there, but there, everybody bikes everywhere. No one really drives except there's buses here and there, but really everyone has a bike. They bike all over the place. There's bike paths. There's these canals with sidewalks. There's there's streets with with other people biking and some people driving and definitely some buses. But all along the way, there's these light poles and electric poles. And on the side of the pole, which I know Wait, you all light poles and electric poles. <laughs> yes. There's there's <laughs> they have electricity in Amsterdam. That's our point. <laughs> Sorry. Come on. There's like these banners attached to the side of them that have, uh, that, you know, market different things. And if you go to San Francisco or places, you'll see that as well. Like, you know, go visit like the Swamoma, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art or whatever. Anyway, all along, wherever we went, there were these banners on different poles and buildings that said um, to go visit the Van Gogh Museum because they were doing this exhibit at the museum on the sunflowers mm-hmm. and his sunflowers are some of his most famous work. He has a lot of other work as you, most of you are familiar with Van Gogh's artwork. But when you go to Amsterdam, there are certain things that people go to Amsterdam for. And one of those things is to visit the Van Gogh museum. Most of his artwork is there in Amsterdam. And sometimes it's like commissioned elsewhere. So you can see other mm-hmm. pieces of art throughout mm-hmm. the world, but most of his work is in Amsterdam. And so we decided, yeah, of course we're going to go see this artwork. And so we bought tickets and we go in line and we we get through security and we enter into this building and there's a bookshop and there's a gift store and there's paraphernalia everywhere and big posters of the sunflowers. And um, it was a really wonderful thing to to see, Um, but it, it felt like the marketing and the commercializing that was happening was this way to convince a person that the Van Gogh Museum would be worth your time. Like if the marketing wasn't there and all of this, all the the lights and glamour and glitz and all these things weren't there, then somebody wouldn't show up to visit the Van Gogh Museum. And so we arrive at this place and and we start going up the stairway to where the the main entrance was to to get into the the different, um, the exhibit that we wanted to go see. 
And it, it took us through this maze of different rooms, essentially, that didn't have any of his artwork on the walls at all. There were projections of his artwork on the walls. There were lights and there were like different colors and a lot of different things. There was music. It was very supposed to be emotionally tugging. So we were like going through this thing. It's almost like I felt like it was trying to convince us that that my time and money would be well spent at this museum. Like I was going to experience something amazing. And we finally get into this room that we were being marketed towards, the, the sunflowers. It was set up in a way that you kind of walk through each painting along the way and you end up at the sunflowers that he had painted years and years ago. And I kept wondering if all the fanfare, if all the marketing ploys got stripped away and there was just a simple room, like imagine a simple white warehouse and his artwork was displayed in that simple room, that would be compelling enough. Like I didn't need the light show experience to know that I was standing in the midst of greatness. No one stands in a room full of Van Goghs and they're kind of bored and they're wondering what the next thing on their day would look like. People go and they stand in a Van Gogh, they stand before a painting like that and they are absolutely compelled because of the painting itself. Why is Van Gogh compelling enough? And I think he is compelling enough because he lived his life fully into his purpose. Like he had this sharply focused purpose, his clear identity in his calling, his vocation, his reason to be who he was. It was compelling enough just because he lived fully into it for me to be near his work. Like because of who he was, I wanted to be near his work. Now Van Gogh was a tortured guy. Most of you know he had like severe mental illness. He, he suffered quite a lot. He like experienced this isolated loneliness, even though there were people all around him, kind of like what Jay was talking about, he still experienced this isolated loneliness of, of a wilderness in his life often. His brother was a pastor and his brother would often remind him of his worth and his value and his purpose and his vocation. So, so even though Van Gogh knew what he was meant to do with his life, his brother kept reminding him about that again and again, speaking truth back into him. And, and vocation, I know that's kind of a word that is a little churchy, but vocation simply means the place where the world's needs and your deepest desires come together. The world's needs and your deepest desire comes together. And Van Gogh's deepest desire was to paint. And that was what the world needed. The world needed for him to paint. And he fully lived into what that was, even in the midst of the wilderness life that he traveled. The wilderness has the capacity to help a person see their vocation and their purpose. The wilderness that we live in, you know, sometimes a tortured existence. Sometimes there's like different losses in our lives that through death or estrangement or financial difficulties, even like the loss of our health or the loss of, of, as we age, we lose certain capacities and abilities. Like all of that can create a wilderness existence in our lives. And the wilderness has the capacity to reveal clarity in our lives for like that sharply focused purpose, regardless of our age or stage in our life. 
that wilderness can, it starts to like kind of slough away the excess to see more fully who we are. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say what's fascinating about uh, Van Gogh, and this isn't a sermon about Van Gogh, just so you know, <laughs> um, uh, is he painted what he saw. Mm. He didn't paint what people wanted him to paint. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Like, that's a very unique, I mean, that's a, that's a very important nuance. And that I think as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, like we're telling the stories of the way Jesus moves and the way that we experience Christ in our life as we see it, because that voice is so flippant important. important. Yeah. It is so important that your voice is heard. So important for you to tell it the way that you see it. Yeah. And that's what Van Gogh did so brilliantly. And I don't know if, I mean, you, he did have a wilderness experience. I don't actually know. I mean, he was a pretty isolated dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I think that this Van Gogh's wilderness experience, it actually, his existence, it created like, this sharply focused vocational purpose where his desires met the world's needs and he lived into that fully. And I didn't need any marketing. I didn't need any wrapping. I didn't need any kind of like, here he is. Now you can come and see him. I, I didn't need anything to convince me to step into the way that he saw the world. I just wanted to be near it. And I think that we tend to do the same things with Jesus. We tend to market Jesus, right? Yeah, marketing Jesus. <laughs> like, I mean, I can remember this pastor. I didn't follow him, but he was well known. And he would talk about the warrior Jesus. Like the real this, Jesus was this, yeah. ma you know, macho man. Like a man's man A man's Jesus. man Jesus and was nothing else. Like Jesus um, isn't compelling in yeah. and of himself. So Jesus has to be this like warrior man's man. Yeah, yeah, you know, or this hipster Jesus. There, you know, there's yeah. this, there's these, these different angles of Jesus that I think we we put onto onto him that aren't needed because Jesus is simply enough. The same way that you go stand in front of a Van Gogh, and you're like, it's a Van Gogh. Like, I'm, I'm in the presence of this like thing, and you don't need anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, we can't even compare Christ in the presence of Christ yeah. to a Van Gogh. Well, um, and and the, as as people of the church as Christians, most of us have experienced this in one way or another where, where we are trying to convince other people that they need Jesus. And so we'll do some sort of marketing ploy to get them into our church. There was a, a church in Southern California that like they were giving out free iPads to all the, to, or they did like an iPad raffle to all the, the high school students that showed up to youth group that week, trying to get people to come to youth group. Um, or, or like putting out, making sure that our building looks perfect. If we just had a better sign out front, then people would come in. If our building was looking more like the country club down the street, then people would come in. We have celebrity pastors. We, we throw hell into the mix to, to make people afraid of hell so they'll come to Jesus. We put like this pitchfork behind them and say, you better come to Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. Jesus is compelling enough in himself. There's going to be a link in the chat uh, for to win an iPad, so <laughs> on the way out. Uh, Make sure you like this and then tag your yeah. friends and have them like it too, and then ten, maybe ten, ten tags and ten tags. enter ten times. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> it's so you can sign on to Zoom better. You know? Yeah. So we get to the the wilderness uh, passage of Jesus. Yeah, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. But I just I want to go back to that really quick. That okay. that, that compelling notion of Jesus. That if all the bells and all the whistles 
and every church building and every worship band gear burnt to the ground, if every pastoral voice was silenced, isn't Jesus compelling enough? Jesus is the bearer of life. Jesus, we don't have to put Jesus next to hell to make Jesus compelling. Jesus is where life exists fully. And church, this is our moment. This is our moment on this planet to tell the stories of Jesus yeah. and about the liberating presence of God incarnate on earth mm -hmm. as we see it. As we see it. Like, yeah. it is, I mean, God believed in us so much that he wanted all of us to be here at this present moment to say, like, go and go and explain it the way that you see it. Yeah. Not the way that you think you, you should see it, but the way you actually see it. Yep, how you've experienced Christ. And that's what made Van Gogh so powerful. Like, yeah. Is that he painted in the way that made, that he, anyway. Okay. Yes. Sorry. No, no, totally. You're good. Um, so I think that, you know, Jesus knew his identity. That is what, that's why he is so compelling. He knew his vocation. He knew his calling. He was completely confident in it. And it seems like from this passage of scripture we're going to read here in a second, that the way he was able to fully grasp his vocation and his calling was, was because he entered into the wilderness. To fully grasp it, he had to go into the wilderness. And oftentimes we, we try to avoid pain and discomfort. We try to, to, to not go into the wilderness. But is there an opportunity for formation in the wilderness that you might be in right now? Whether it's the global pandemic or, or an uncertainty of your job or an uncertainty within your relationships or even within yourself, is there an opportunity for God to shape and form you in this wilderness that you're experiencing, this sense of loss or discomfort or uh, uncertainty, doubt that you're feeling right now? Might God help reveal your identity as beloved might God show you your vocation, like your uniqueness, what you have to offer others in the wilderness, where your deepest desire and the world's needs collide? Might God have something to show you right now in the wilderness? So let's read, uh, you want to read it? Matthew yep. 4, and it should be up on the screen for you as well, but you can always turn in your Bibles. It's good to take notes in the corners and that sort of thing. But, so I'm going to read yeah. the first verse, and then I'm going to read the other ones. Um, but I have a question for you after the first verse. So it says this. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, I can't even remember my question now. Well, the question was like, Oh, yeah. Why was... Why would the Spirit lead Jesus yeah. into the wilderness? So just for a minute, for a minute, um, if anybody would feel like they want to share about that question, your perception of why the Spirit would lead Jesus into the wilderness. It's the only time it ever says this in all of Scripture. We don't have any other references to this particular yeah. phrasing. Um, just think about it for a second and anything that comes to mind about that particular verse. And you might not have an answer either. It could just be silent as well. But okay. the iPad is on the line yeah. for this. So. <laughs> yeah, Richard, please. Jesus as a kind of Israel mm. um, and um, 
out of Egypt. I called my son, for example, who was found in the gospel. I just got him in this particular gospel. Hmm. And uh, but the difference, but the difference between Jesus and the original Israel is that the original Israel was not faithful, but this Jesus, but this new Israel, that is to say, Jesus is faithful, and so Jesus is is taken into the wilderness, and instead of failing and giving in to the, the temptation of uh, of idol worship, say, and unfaithfulness, um, Jesus is shown to be uh, to be to be faithful to the calling of God. Mm. Great. Thanks, Richard. Anyone else have a comment? Yes, Bob. Yeah. One of the things that uh, when you started off, you used the phrase, um, we take Jesus into the wilderness. Mm. And, and I mentally said to myself, that's not right. We don't take him. He takes us. Mm. And yet here, um, as you guys were were sharing, I, I realized that Jesus was alone. The spirit, the spirit, took or sent him mm. into the wilderness. But at this point, Jesus, the very man, man Jesus, was alone, mm. and uh, you know he he had to depend upon. Uh, his, his fight with, with Satan had to depend upon uh, an inner type thing that he, that he had and could show us as fellow humans um, that we're never alone. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. never by ourselves in the wilderness when it seems like we are by ourselves mm -hmm. in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. good. Thank, That's thank you, Bob. Anybody else have anything they want to? Yes, Chris. Um, the thought comes to me the way, since we've all been through wilderness, is he set the example of what to do in this wilderness. Mm. Uh, the t-shirt says, I don't know. But it's more of what you do know. Mm. And the one thing is at your lowest point, I think he set the example when you really don't know. You don't know how long you're going to be here, what it's going to look like. Um, that he said, this is what I do now. And I think that's the one thing that in the times of wilderness to say, I don't know, but this is what I do know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good. It's so good. It's great. Well, thank you everybody. And, and if anything else comes up, oh, Judy, did you want to share? Oh yeah. Okay. Hi. So that worked. Um, <laughs> um, I have a few thoughts. It seems to me that it isn't just one thing. It, I imagine what I it, what I what makes sense to me is that um, there are times when we are led by the Spirit into some you know situation that's going to be hard, mm -hmm. and that. At, at, at those times, sometimes the, re, there's the, the reason behind it is so that we can develop empathy and compassion for yeah. others, you know, to have kind of navigated our way through a difficult situation. Yeah. And um, I think also there are times when we go through hardship or 
or struggle because of choices that we've made. You know, part of the story is that we have free will and we can, we make choices and sometimes we make choices that end up being hard. Hmm. Yeah. And, And a third thought that comes to my mind, kind of related to something that the person, two people ago said, was that there was there was just there was a time many years ago when I was um, feeling really alone. With you know, I mean, you know, I lived in the wilderness. I was you know, single parenting for a short time. You know, four small children and. Um, and I had been kind of spending the last, the previous 15 years exploring various spiritual practices, mm-hmm. had been raised Catholic, but, um, you know, was exploring different practices. And this one day I felt, I mean, it kind of, there was this whole buildup, but this one day, uh, you know, nursing one baby and uh, another child asking for a glass of water and having a pile of work waiting for me. And, and I kind of went into this monologue of, um, I felt myself kind of separate away. You know, I felt myself kind of fracture Mm -hmm. and part of my self, you know, kind of started to depart, you know, and I called myself back, thankfully. And, you know, just kind of pulled myself together thing that, you know, telling myself that I couldn't, couldn't go crazy because, you know, there were children who depended on me. Mm. And, um, and then I cried out to Jesus to help me, which I hadn't ever really done before that in my life. And in that moment, God's presence was immediate. It was just immediately and tactically, um, uh, made apparent to me, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I felt actually what it felt like was, you know, when someone does that kind of a a game where they pretend to crack an egg on top of your head and then you can, they move you their hands over your face and arms to make it feel like you have egg yolk dripping down. Well, that it kind of felt like that. It felt like the spirit just enveloped me and filled me and comforted me. And I knew in that moment that I wasn't alone, Mm -hmm. that I was never alone that God was just waiting for me to ask him to, you know, to enter, to be present to me. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Judy. Thank you so much, Judy, for sharing. So I want to, I want to read, I want you to read the rest of that passage because I think what you're saying here about the empathy is so true that, that we have a, a savior who empathizes with the needs that we have. So why don't we read the rest of this passage and then, and then we'll finish up here. Okay, it says, uh, so Jesus was led in the wilderness. Um, So after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, a third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me, Jesus, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to that reading. Some of you might remember this. A lot of you probably don't because you're a little younger. But uh, about 30, well, I don't even remember it because I'm really, I'm only 41. How old are you? I know, I couldn't remember for a second. Uh, about 38 years ago, um, a little over 38 years ago, a 12-year-old boy named Johnny Gosh was kidnapped in the early morning hours while he delivered newspapers for his paper route. And the case has remained open. It's a cold case, it's never been solved. They've never found him. But he was one of the first faces to ever appear on a milk carton on people's tables on their Sunday morning cereal time. And when I've looked up just some of the details about this, but his mother, when she found out that he didn't come, he didn't deliver those papers, she got a phone call from the paper company and said, hey, he hasn't finished his route. Um, she started looking for him everywhere. They found like a, a wagon with some papers in it that wasn't ever delivered, but they couldn't find him. And she was, she was convinced that he was taken and the police were super sluggish about it. They weren't appearing um, to her door for quite some time. And they said he was probably just a runaway. Don't worry about it. He'll come home. His mother felt totally helpless and absolutely out of control and absolutely undone. And no one knows what it's like. I mean, all of us can probably imagine what it's like to have our child abducted, but no one really actually knows what it's like to have your child abducted. And they've done some different movies, documentaries about this experience, but Noreen has been so faithful and fervent of seeking uh, help for other people whose kids have been abducted and even though hers has never been found. And they've seen these people, different family members, different people whose children have been taken. And, and you know, you, you watch them in different news spaces and they're, they're giving out the facts. He is this tall. He wears this. He was wearing this jacket. He has this birthmark on his shoulder. Um, these are the mannerisms of him, like just kind of facts, trying to hold it all together so you can get the information out about your child. So hopefully your child can be found. And what they've seen is that when Noreen walks into that room, those family members, those parents absolutely lose it because there's finally somebody in that room who knows what they're experiencing in that moment, who knows what it's actually like. No one knows what it's like except somebody who's experienced it firsthand. And friends, we have a savior who experienced those 40 days in the wilderness but for him, those, that wilderness wasn't simply 40 days. That wilderness went through and with him, through the ways that Christ was in his full humanity and his humanness, regardless of his divinity. In his humanity, he experienced rejection and ostracization. He was taunted. He was backstabbed. He wondered where he would sleep at night if he could make ends meet. He suffered and experienced horrific torture. He was murdered on a Roman cross. The divinity of Jesus did not protect him in the wilderness.
But the humanity of Jesus, the humanness of Jesus allowed him to feel everything. So friends, this wilderness that we are in is very formational. It has the capacity to like strip away those excess things so we can see our identity and see our vocation much clearer. But the wilderness is disruptive. It is lonely and isolating. And I believe that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness in that full humanity of himself. So he could say to you, me too. I understand. I know what suffering feels like. So we are not somebody who goes through our lives and, and believes that we're fully alone. Christ is with us in the midst of it all. And I think that God is using this time to form us, to shape us. And friends, Jesus overcame it all through his resurrection from the dead. There is a hope beyond the wilderness and it looks like resurrection. It doesn't mean we don't feel the suffering that's happening right now, but there is a hope beyond hope because Christ resurrected from the dead brings new life into our lives again and again, even in the midst of isolation, desolation. There is life abundant in Jesus Christ. And so I, I wanna end right here on Hebrews and I don't have it up on the screen, but this passage from Hebrews really struck me. And it's a familiar one to many of you, but it says in Hebrews 4, 14, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. This is key. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach the God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's not looking down at you in your suffering or the ways that you may have made mistakes or the sort of uh, way that you have not lived fully into your vocation. And God's not standing there going, oh, I thought they could do better. I am so disappointed. It's God in a man's voice. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, I think God looks down at us from that throne of grace and says, I know what this is like. Grace upon grace upon grace. Let me love you. Let me care for you. Let me nurture you in this lonely time. Let me put you on a better, solid footing. I am with you in this as well. Claire says, as we enter Lent, aren't we entering the wilderness before Resurrection Sunday? Absolutely. Yep. We are entering a time of Lent starting on Wednesday, and it goes all the way into that resurrection moment. We get to go through the suffering with Christ because Christ went through that suffering and is with us in ours.